0: My name is Veltas, and I'm a member of Al-Anon. Hi, Hi, everybody. My uh, home group is the Wellness, Serenity, and Hope Al-Anon Family Group in Loveland, Colorado. And we meet at uh, 102 East 3rd Street in Loveland. It's the new Unity Club that we have in Loveland. If you're ever down that way, be sure and join us. We have meetings on Tuesday afternoons, on uh, Friday nights, and also on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. Um, when I first came into Al-Anon in 1979, Loveland had two Al-Anon meetings a week, and we've now grown to nine nine meetings a week. And a couple of those meetings have just happened within the last year, and I'm just real pleased with that, real happy with that. Thank you um, for asking Tim and I both to come up and speak. It was kind of a good excuse to get a babysitter and get out of the house, and all those kinds of things. Uh, it was nice just being able to drive up with them and see them and talk to them for a little bit. We haven't done that for a long time. Um, and it's nice to see people enjoying sobriety. I understand what your conference means, young people enjoying sobriety. And I know that, that all of us in these rooms have paid our dues, and we have a right to be enjoying sobriety. Um, whether in we're we're in AA or Al-Anon, we, we um, should be enjoying sobriety. I hope none of us, I hope myself included, especially myself, never get so righteous or so spiritual that we forget what our primary purpose is, and that's not necessarily to enjoy sobriety, but to carry the message to the family that still suffers, um, whether the the alcoholic in the family is sober or not. One of the things that I've learned, especially in this last year, I guess, is that people, even in sobriety, still have pain. And some of that, I think, can be helped if we just have an open heart and an open mind and we're willing to listen and and care about those people. Um, As I told you, I came into Al-Anon in 1979. I've never done anything for the right reasons in this program. Um, All of my reasons have always been because I wanted someone to love me, to approve of me, or care about me. And the reason that I came into Al-Anon was because I had fallen in love with this man who had a baby face and he could make me laugh better than anybody Um, and he was seven years sober in AA and I figured I better get off my duff and do something and so I joined the program of Al-Anon I started going to meetings and I think I went to about three meetings until I realized that I had come home that this was the place that I needed to be Uh, that song I always think of that song that that they uh, they play at the beginning of Cheers you know where it says Wouldn't you like to go where everybody knows your name? And that's how I feel about Al-Anon. That's where I go, where everybody knows my name. I'm welcome there. I'm cared about there. And I'm so grateful that that, um, I was led to this program. And it's amazing, I guess, that God takes the reasons that we use and he makes them into good reasons. And he brings about good results. That's the way it's been in my recovery. Um, I wasn't equipped when I first came in the program to make right decisions. I don't know how many of us are. I did my first step, my first fourth step, so that I could be one of those people at meetings when we went around and talked about the steps. I could be one of those people that said, I'd done a fourth step. And that's the that's the uh, main reason that I did my first fourth step. And and what I got from that, you see, the rewards I got from that were so wonderful. Um, well, I'll talk about that a little later. If those of you here in Al-Anon, I, you know, I, I don't know why people ask me to talk. I, my story isn't that great, and I I uh, don't tell lots of jokes. and But I, I do have a message, I think, and the message that I've learned from being in the program, and that is that it's all right to love an alcoholic. Um, I think sometimes people come in and they're new and they're hurting and feel somewhat less than most of those other people out there because they happen to love an alcoholic. Um, some of the things that happen in our homes are not pleasant. Um, And as a result of that, I think we all begin to think less of ourselves. But it's all right to love an alcoholic. It doesn't make you defective. Um, It doesn't make you wrong. And it doesn't matter if that alcoholic is drunk tonight. It doesn't matter if he's sober and driving you crazy. Uh, It's all right to love an alcoholic. That's the biggest message that I have. Another thing that I learned in being in the program, and, and I was lucky enough, you see, to have a sponsor who told me that it was important that I work steps and that I take my program seriously. Um, I used to think when I first came in that alcoholics did the important things. They had closed meetings. Um, They were dealing with alcoholism. They were doing the big stuff, and I was just kind of there, and I was just kind of there. And as I said, I had a sponsor who really um, emphasized the importance of working the steps, and she had been through a big book study and she told me that it was important that I work the steps the way they're outlined in the big book and that it was important that I start with step one and work all the way through to step 12 and that I do them in order and she helped me. She held my hand through that whole that whole um, ordeal of doing those and um, I'm very grateful for that. So if you haven't worked the steps and you're in Al-Anon, um, please know that, that there's a recovery for you too, that the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I know this is kind of not kosher to say at Al-Anon meetings, but I really believe this, and I think I wouldn't be telling them the truth if I didn't tell you what what I know to be true, um, that if you haven't worked the steps the way they're outlined in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, do that. And if you haven't gotten a sponsor, if you're struggling with this program alone, you don't need to, um, get a sponsor and do that. Those things are so important, and I think sometimes... I know it happens in our group. Sometimes we get so into having our friends and having our cliques and having potlucks and good times that we forget about those new ladies that come in. And I say ladies because mostly it is. Um, maybe that'll change. It'd be nice if it did, but maybe it will. Um, we forget about those, those women that come in that are still hurting and that need to be told those things, that if you love an alcoholic and if someone else's drinking is driving you crazy, this is the right place to be, and we have a solution for you. Not maybe do we have a solution, not a kind of a solution, but we really have a solution. Um, I was shown, I guess, the, the seriousness of, I won't say that that alcoholism is a family disease. I don't I don't believe that. I think any of us who would live with an alcoholic and some of the things that alcoholics would do would get crazy. So I, I don't think that I don't have a disease. I, my body isn't different. Um, sometimes my mind works differently than other people, but I don't know if that has to do with living with an alcoholic. Um, but um, I forgot totally what I was going to say. Um, yes, please. He always does anyway. Um, oh, well. Oh, I know what I was going to say. The seriousness of it, how I learned that this program was for me and that it was serious, that I take myself seriously in the program. I, w- I work for a welfare office in Fort Collins, Colorado, and and the way someone described my job once is that I'm the last person that, that some women see before they fall off the face of the earth. I take those applications for food stamps and for AFDC, and I, I see some of these women went there. They're at their bottom. And I remember, oh, I remember so vividly um, some of the women that would come in to see me and so grateful for the chance that I had to share the message that there is a solution. I remember one lady who came in who had just gotten out of prison because she had shot her husband. She was sitting home in the rocking chair waiting for him uh, with a shotgun one night because she couldn't take him coming home drunk again. Um, I remember one lady who, whose husband had gotten drunk one night and, and shot up the housing project where, where they lived. And he they'd sent him to Pueblo and, and let him out and... and um, He'd come back to live with the family, and, you know, in a couple weeks she was in Pueblo because she couldn't take his drinking. She was in the state hospital. And I guess the one that touched me the most and made me realize that that living with an alcoholic or the need for Al-Anon was so important. is I remember a woman with two small children who had divorced her alcoholic husband because he'd beat her and she couldn't take living with, with someone who was drinking and there were no signs that he was going to stop. And being who she was, and being like probably a lot of us in Al-Anon, she became involved with another alcoholic. Um, And he got drunk one night and killed them all, both the small children and her, too. And that made me realize I had to sit back, and I thought, well, I'm not that bad, and yet I had to think about, but for the grace of God, any of those women could be me. Um, And if I don't start applying this program to my life, that could be me. Those things happen. Um, tell you a little bit about how I got to the program I told you initially how I got to the program a little bit of, of my background and qualified to be here I've lived with a number of alcoholics <clears throat> a lot of us have um, seems to be a pattern uh, my my parents um, came over from Germany a couple of years before I was born and I grew up in a very German home and, and we spoke German and, and ate German food and I had funny little pigtails and I couldn't speak any English until I went to school, and I've heard as I've heard so many of us say, I felt like I didn't belong from the very beginning. Um, it was a setup, you know, for what I was to encounter later on in life. Some of the defense me- defense mechanisms that I, I learned in in living the way that I did early on, I found later. Uh, to come in useful some of those things I hear a lot of people say well I learned this and it was bad and I learned that and it was bad some of those things really come in uh, useful being useful later on one of those is that I'm really stubborn and that that helps that helped me in living with an alcoholic but my mother developed back problems and she went to a doctor and she got a prescription for um, medication all kinds of medication the big stuff percadan and Thorazine and those kinds of things and took those on a regular basis and as a result she became very very ill obviously obviously Um, and she didn't get up anymore she just stayed in bed and and what I remember of my mother is her staying in bed and and going to the hospital periodically if she needed a shot bad enough and so I looked um, I looked to my father in lots of ways to fill that gap for me Um, he was the one that I looked for when Mom was in bed and I had come home from school and I was a little girl and the lights were out and, you know, you're little, you don't think of things like turning on the lights or pulling the drapes. And he was the one I looked for to come home and and make home okay for me. I'm very grateful to him. He was a very stabilizing effect in my life. Um, I remember from the time I was very small that every night before he would go to bed, no matter how things were in our home, he would kneel down beside his bed and he would pray. He never talked about God to me. He never mentioned his faith. It was just something that I saw in action, and I'm very grateful for that because he gave me lots of strength um, in that area. Obviously, it wasn't a good situation. We had a grandmother who lived with us who was um, physically and verbally abusive to me. I um, I was kind of the scapegoat in the situation, and I I don't resent my grandmother anymore. That's a gift of this program. It's a miracle of the program. She's she's done and over with. She's written out. I, did her on all those columns on that fourth step, and I, I left it with my sponsor, and I never have to hate her again. Um, I'm very grateful for that. It's my job now to go about repairing the damage that she did, and that's what I do with this program. Um, when I was 18, uh, I got pregnant. And I told you every decision I've ever made in my life was because I wanted someone to love me, and that one obviously was because I wanted someone to love me. Um And, you know, at that time, I had things for my life planned that it didn't involve getting married and having a family just yet. That's something that I wanted for myself in the future, but not not then. Um, So obviously the marriage didn't start off very well. I had a son, and at the time, I thought having a child that young was probably the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. Um, He's an adorable 13-year-old kid today. I love him more than anything He's starting adolescence. I don't know how it's going to be, but um, he's a wonderful kid. And you see, that's what God does for me. He takes those things that I thought were going to be terrible and just turns them into the most wonderful gifts. Um, I stayed married for three years. And uh, the whole time that I stayed married, I obviously didn't have a commitment to it. I worked and I plotted and I planned as to how I was going to get out of it, and I finally left. But I didn't leave until I had someone else waiting for me. And this someone else was another woman. Um, I lived with another woman for a number of years, and we had a a relationship. It was a sexual relationship. I'm not um, a lesbian, not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just not. Um, I understand what she was for me. She was a comfort. She provided me with some kind of support. She provided me with um, a need to not compete with anyone in that outside world, that big, bad outside world out there. And she was an alcoholic. Um, I'd never seen anyone drink the way that she drank. I didn't understand when she'd come home from the liquor store and had eight bottles and she dropped one on the concrete garage floor and she would begin to cry. I didn't understand that, I would say, but you have seven other bottles. And she'd say, but you don't understand. And she was right, I didn't. Um, I looked down on her for her drinking. I was very arrogant. Here I was doing something that that um, obviously wasn't right for me, Um, and I looked down on her for her drinking you know the twisted arrogance we get somewhere in our heads that we have to be better than somebody so might as well be the alcoholic and um, I, I did her no good you know we were wonderful friends before we began living together and I often think that that I probably ruined the best friendship I've ever had by doing that I'm sorry for that she's in AA today um um I had nothing to do with that I hope you know that uh She didn't find that program until after I'd left. I didn't leave her, folks, until I had someone else waiting for me in the wings. I could never go at this alone. Somehow I thought life was too bad to try this alone. Um, This was a man, and um, I was at the time, I hate to even say this, I was working in an alcoholism treatment center at the time, which tells you that you can con anybody in an alcoholism treatment center that you want to. and um, I met this gentleman, and he would come pick me up from work because he'd always have my car because practicing alcoholics usually don't have cars. And if they do have cars, they have cars that don't work. So he, he uh, was driving my car that I was making payments on, and he would come pick me up at this treatment center, and he would be drunk. Now, you think that I'd, something would come in here, um, but it didn't. I, I was totally in denial, uh, and I wanted to stay there because this guy was going to fix me. He was going to make everything okay, and uh, I really believed that. And for him, I quit my job and moved out to Colorado. I packed up the kid, packed up the car, and we came out to Colorado. I, I grew up in Nebraska. Um, and we moved into a beautiful A-frame up in Glen Haven. and I was going to bake bread and, and I got rid of the TV set. This is the early 70s. It's a thing to do, you understand. And we got rid of the TV set. And and he was a musician, very talented. And he would play his guitar and not work and smoke pot. And I would work and I would worry and I would cry. And um, I, I remember um, I had a chair in the living room that I used to sit in that I would wrap myself up in my little afghan and I would play Judy Collins, Send in the Clowns. And when they got to that part that said, I thought you want what I want, sorry my dear, I would just sob my heart out, you know and uh that that was how i lived and uh i uh, i suffered well i did a good job of it um you know they talk about the selfishness and the self-centeredness of the alcoholic i i remember lots of times you understand that all while all this craziness was going on i had a little boy that wasn't in school yet who was watching this happen And I remember many times that he would fall asleep in the big chair in the living room waiting for Mom to get done with the fight that she started when he got home. Um, He would watch me wondering where he is again. You know, it's 2 o'clock, why the hell isn't he home? Um, He'd watch all that stuff. And uh, I remember an Al-Anon speaker, I don't remember who she was, saying that that her children used to come through the kitchen and she used to sit with her hand in her head in her head in her hands and and they'd say what are you doing mom she'd go away i'm busy and she'd be worrying because that's all that she could do and that's almost the place that i got to i love this man and i really thought that i needed to make things okay i needed to make him okay so i could be okay and um so i tried a number of things i i um i i intervened on him <laughs> i thought that if i did I told him what his behavior was like, um, that he would see the error of his ways, and because I am so wonderful, he would want to fix himself for me. Um, and I, the craziness of my thinking at the time, you know where I ended up sending him to treatment? I don't mean to say that arrogantly, but I sent him off to treatment. I did. I packed his bags and away he went. Um, I sent him off to the treatment center that I quit when I left Nebraska, those people that I never wanted to see again. And I left that place for this guy and I'm sending him there to treatment. And I'm going to family week there in treatment. And uh, I couldn't help but think to myself that something is terribly wrong here. Um, I I tried some right things. You know, I I really did. Uh, I'm making light of it. It was obviously, those of you who have been through it know, that it was a desperate feeling kind of situation. Um, I tried Al-Anon. I had uh, told lots of people when I worked in treatment that they ought to be going to Al-Anon. And someone said to me once, Some place I was working said why don't you try going and so I tried it and I went to my first meeting it was up at the Harmony Foundation in Estes Park and um, the subject was detachment with love that night it was um, August of 78 it was detachment with love and I'd never heard the two words and I'd certainly never heard them together Um, I didn't know that they ever went together and I sat around and I listened to these women talk and they had these little grins pasted on their faces and i I was sure that they couldn't possibly understand what it was that i was feeling what i had gone through they seemed too happy to have ever understood it and they seemed pretty arrogant to me anyway very self-righteous and um i finally got up enough nerve and i raised my hand it was about three quarters of the way through the meeting and i said i don't understand something i don't understand if you don't make their lives miserable for them why would they ever want to quit and they all laughed at me (laughs) And uh, I understand today why they all laughed at me. But I meant that. I'm, my thinking was such that I really believed that if you don't keep Adam, God, something might slip by you and you might let something go and you can't let anything go. My motto is you've got to do something about this. And that's what I always tried to do was I had to do something. Um, so I obviously didn't go back to Al-Anon because I decided those people didn't have what I wanted and they possibly didn't know. So I went back to living in that same way. Um, and it didn't get any better. It didn't get any better. Um, thinking he was sober, and watching him for all the little signs, um, wondering if he was smoking pot, and looking through the whole house when he wasn't there to see if there was a stash anywhere, and um, all the crazy things that we do, <clears throat> and losing myself in the meantime. Um, I didn't leave that relationship until I had another one. And this was... The baby, <laughs> um, I met Tim when I, again I was working in an, in an alcoholism treatment center and I told you um, that he could make me laugh better than anybody and we all have dumb reasons for falling in love with whoever we fall in love with and that was why I fell in love with him because he made me laugh and uh, he still makes me laugh uh, um, but he was seven years sober and I thought I better I better uh, I better act like I know what I'm doing even if I don't and um, We were working in Esses Park, and uh, I started going down to meetings in Loveland. And I I don't know what the difference was. Uh, I don't know if the meetings were different. I don't know if I was ready to hear what they had to say to me. But I remember the feeling in that room was different than the feeling I had before. Um, I remember when when they read the traditions, I no longer cringed or resented the fact that they were telling me what I needed to do. There were a set of rules that I was willing, able, and ready to follow. Um... And uh, I had found a place to come home to. Um, just last year, I i think, you know, we, we all go through periods of growth in the program. And um, just last year, there came a point where I thought that going to meetings wasn't very important. I had better things to do. Um I thought that talking with other people in the program, well, you know, they're always such a bother. That it's always They always call it the wrong time. <coughs> I got into a way of thinking <coughs> that that wasn't very good for me. Um, and I was hanging on by my fingernails about last December. Um, I, was, I was pretty miserable, and I didn't have anybody to tell. Um, because what had happened to me is that I had set myself up um, and this is honest. I had set myself up as an expert. Um, I was the f- one that people came to when they had a problem. And an expert can't have problems, and an expert can't be honest. And um, y- you just, you know, you've been on the program. I was doing this thing to myself. I've been in the program long enough I ought to know better. And uh, I was dying. And I-, I don't remember what happened, but I remember one Sunday morning I got up, and there was a feeling inside of me that if I didn't do something... I- I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, And it's like a fog lifted. And uh, I don't mean to use all these clichés, but I don't have any better words to tell you what happened with me. It's like a fog lifted. And I got dressed, and I went to that Sunday morning meeting, and I told those ladies the truth. And they called on me, and I don't know what the subject was, but I told them the truth. This is what's been going on with me. This is how I've been feeling. Um, I've been acting arrogant. I need all of you here. Um, and I, it w- the feeling that you get when you first come in the program, you know that feeling of, man, I found something that nobody else has ever found. I had that feeling again. Um, that this is with the basic stuff. You know, you go to meetings and you tell people the truth. That's not so hard. Um, and that basic stuff can really give you that that feeling of what Al-Anon is all about. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I'm, I'm so attached to that group. Um, we're, we're responsible, our Al-Anon group, is responsible for starting a new AA meeting in Loveland. I don't know if any of you knew that. Uh, we were wanting to start an Al-Anon meeting at a club that didn't like Al-Anons very much. Um, and lo and behold, being the kind of people that some of us in there were, we were determined we were going to get in there. If they didn't want us, of course, that's where we had to be. And um, so we picked a time that... We picked a fr- uh, Friday night at 8 o'clock that we were going to have our first meeting in a couple of weeks. And um, in the meantime, they got together an AA meeting at 8 o'clock on at, at, that Friday night. look he split So we're responsible for that AA meeting. And uh, it's a thriving, healthy, growing meeting. And so we picked Sunday morning instead to have a meeting, and it turned out to be a wonderful time to have a meeting. And uh, we've all pulled together, and we've come full circle. We now have a Friday night 8 o'clock meeting, our Al-Anon group. So things always come full circle. Sometimes when you're in the middle at the fragmented end, it doesn't feel like it, but they always do come full circle. Um, I have um, some concerns, I guess, um, about Al-Anon as a whole um, that maybe I can tell you about and you might might want to think about or, or listen to. Um, I think... I get scared sometimes when I see people come in, and I'm, you know, I'm not putting down treatment. I, I talk lightly about it, and I think treatment helps a lot of people. Um, but I see a lot of people come into Al-Anon from treatment, and they have a whole different vocabulary than I ever learned. Um, enabling, um, co-alcoholic intervention, para There's a new one, isn't there? para You know, I. I'm a paraprofessional in my job, but a para-alcoholic, I don't know if that's... Uh, they come into meetings and they talk that way, and, I, and it frightens me. You know, I, I think that we were so lucky and we are so blessed to have been given the gift of Al-Anon that started in 1950. You know, Bill Wilson, Dr. Bob, said, Here, take it, you can have it, we'll share it with you. AA isn't going to be diminished at all um, by anything that you might take from us. And so we stole from them blatantly, you know, we got the steps, we got the traditions, we took it all. Um, why not? They took everything from us, right <laughs> and um uh, i i'm 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 concerned that it stays the way it was when I walked in the doors. not that I've been there that long, but i I came in in this little town that hadn't been polluted with all of that that treatment talk yet, and I'm real grateful for that and i'm I'm grateful that someone didn't stick a whole lot of real technical books under my nose when I first came in the program because I needed to be loved into staying there. Um, I know that sometimes, at least in Loveland, I don't know how it is here, but I know in Loveland a lot of times the AAs are just real tough on each other and they take real pride in that, just real, well, I really told him, you know, he's a sick son of a bitch and all that stuff. You know how they talk? And uh, we don't we do not do that in Al-Anon, you know, and, and I'll tell you why. And I don't think you ladies do it here, do you? You don't do that kind of stuff here. Oh! <laughs> um, I'll tell you why we don't do it, is that most of us who have lived with practicing alcoholics have heard enough of that stuff to last a lifetime, and we need to be loved into staying around. Um, someone, if someone would have just um, blasted me when I had to come in the door, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have stuck around, and I'm, I'm grateful that, that people had, had that kind of treatment with me. So that's a concern that I have, that al stay whole and pure and and, and clean. Um, another concern that I have is, and I don't know, again, if you have it here, I, I know that we have it in, in Loveland, is that there's a lot of competition, it seems like, between AA and Al-Anon. I'm sure you've all heard the Al-Anon jokes. Have you heard the Al-Anon jokes? Do you have them here too? No, I'm not going to tell them any. Um, I don't think they're funny. You know, I think that that um, this is serious business, this recovery. And uh, I don't know why we think we need to compete with each other. Um, It's not my understanding the way it was supposed to be when it first started out. We Al-Anon has a new book called The First 30 Years. I don't know if you've, any of you have read it. And when they talk about the one guy who, when al started in this one particular club, who laid himself out on the couch and pretended like he was asleep so he could hear what was going on in the al meeting, he was so afraid that he was sure they were talking about him or, or some some of his buddies. Um, you know, there's a lot of put-downs that, that come from the AAs to the al and And um, I kind of see that almost as a form of sexism. Um, because there's most, a lot of men in AA, and there's mostly women in Al-Anon, and it's pretty thinly disguised too. And we're here to grow spiritually. We're here to um, get rid of those those things that block us from the sunlight of God's spirit. And uh, boy, I don't I don't think that that could help get closer to God. You know that that kind of discrimination or that kind of feeling. And, uh, you know, there was a time when I yuck-yucked it with the best of them when they did that stuff about Al-Anon, or talked about Al-Anon in that way, and there was a time that I would try my best to get right in there and just do the same same back, and I've decided that, you know, I don't need that in my life. I can back away from that, and I don't need to be a part of it, and I don't need to be around people who do it. Um, That's just what I think. That's my personal opinion. I, I told you about some some of the, the ladies that I saw that just broke my hearts that, that came into the office, and I told a lot of them about al and a couple have come, but not very many. And, and um, I think, too, um, that it's important that a lot of times I think it's easy for us to rationalize. If someone comes to one or two meetings and they never come back, we just say, well, they haven't heard enough. Well, they haven't hit bottom. Well, they just must not want what we have. I think, it's, I think it's our responsibility to make sure that they know that this is where a solution is. Um, are we giving them everything we can when they come to those meetings? Are we giving it our best shot? Because if we are, then we can walk away from that and say yes. If they don't want what we have, then, then that's okay. But are we giving them the best shot? Um, I have some wonderful people that I go to meetings with, and I see them week after week, and I'm not sick of them yet. We have a, a, a gentleman named Tom who, um, he's also an alcoholic, but he comes very religiously and very faithfully um, to Al-Anon meetings. He's very involved. He's handicapped. He only has one leg, and he's recently divorced. That was a result of his drinking. He became divorced. And he's raising three of his children alone because his wife is still out drinking, his ex-wife. And he's determined, Batman is determined, that the legacy of alcoholism is going to stop with him he's not going to pass that thing on to his kids and he comes to meeting meetings and he's honest and he tells us what's going on with him he talks about it he talks about the family meetings he has with his kids he talks about getting them involved in alateen and alatot he talks about how willing and open and encouraging he is to let them express how they feel about things whether he wants to hear it or not and i love to listen to him talk because he's honest and he's real and he tells the truth And we have another lady named Julia who, um, when she first came in the program, she was just very intellectual and very, um, everything to her was, if I can't figure it out, it must not be important, it must not count. And uh, she's become kind of wide-eyed with innocence. And as a result of this program, she looks at things in a whole new way and she sees things, you know, that corny stuff out there like the trees and she sees that stuff and she appreciates it and whenever she 's called on to talk at a meeting, you can bet you better pass the Kleenex her way because she 's going to start to cry, and she 's not crying for the reason she used to cry. she's crying because she 's so grateful that she's found this program those are Those are the kinds of things that you and I get to witness every day. Um, our life is not boring i um, you know i I thought when I first worked the steps that everything was going to magically happen and I was going to get fixed. It was just going to be like boom. Everything was going to be wonderful. And I was going to have a house and a white picket fence and the nice husband and the good car. car, <laughs> And the, I was going to have a dog in the backyard. and all the, I was just, It was just going to be wonderful. And you know what I got from working the steps is a spiritual awakening. The only thing they promised me is what I got. It was a thing inside here that I can't describe. Accepting cliches that everybody uses in the program and everybody nods their head because you know what you're talking about That kind of quiet that happens here. It's a whole new way of looking at other people and myself It's a whole new way of accepting situations that I used to think were intolerable And it's also a whole new way of not accepting situations that I used to think were intolerable I've come to the place in my recovery where I know it's okay to have an opinion of my own I don't have to check it out with anybody um, I've come to a place in my recovery where I know that I can stand for something other than just for Al-Anon. And I'm talking about the outside world. You know, I know, I know that Al-Anon, we don't have any outside opinions. But I, as a person, and as a result of Al-Anon, I, I have a, a right and a responsibility to the human race to have outside opinions on some of those things. Um, I just can't sit here in my little cloistered group and not spread some of that out there somewhere. You know, I work with people every day. I see people every day. Um, and I, I figure, you know, I, what it's come down to, my life gets simpler and simpler. What it's come down to, if I can get up every morning, if I can go to my job, if I can be decent to the majority of people that I meet every day, if I can be the best example of Al-Anon that I'll ever give anybody if they need help, then I'm not doing bad, and I don't need to ask for anything else. Thank you. That's Thanks.